Welcome to your favorite NFL podcast, A House Divided, the show that brings you all the latest Cowboys and Eagles news and discusses all things NFL. Now, here are your hosts, NFL analysts and self-proclaimed football gurus, Mike, Brock, and Keith. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of A House Divided. I'm back here with Keith and Brock, and uh, we're going to get the everything going for you guys. Keith, how's it going, buddy? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Uh, fresh off of a couple of uh, losses in a row, or probably the more. I'm starting to lose count of how many times the Cowboys have lost, so I think I'm doing good. <laughs> and I'm sure Brock is on the same page, right, buddy? I could use a couple drinks. It would be nice to see uh, a win sometime this month, but I'm doing great otherwise. Nice. All right. Well, all right. Well, we're going to start things off. That recording, by the way, our new intro was amazing. Can we get a round of applause for that? Thank you, everybody. Can you believe that nobody believes that that's actually my voice? <laughs> One time. Uh, you've really been working on it. I have. It's my, I call it my sexy voice. My wife loves it, but, you know, neither here nor there. It's a little bit robotic, <laughs> but uh, now that I can't get that picture out of my head. <laughs> is that why you sent it to me at three in the morning yes that's exactly what it was i'm so glad i did not check my phone last night <laughs> with a little winky face yep <laughs> just for you well we all know that uh mike was extra frisky after the eagles game last night so uh, <laughs> why don't we just jump into that mike i'll let you have the what, what's going on man well, I will say is that um, I'm going to be honest with everybody. By the third quarter, I was uh, actually in our bedroom. The wife was asleep, passed out, snoring, of course, watching the game. And I was starting to doze off because I was like, this game is absolutely over. And uh, as I was you know, playing on my phone, just kind of overall BSing, I started listening to, of course, the broadcast and start hearing them come back. And my ears perk and I just see the offense just start to come together after, and this is the shocking part, after losing not just one, not two, but three starting wide receivers for the season. Starting very loosely. <laughs> and, and we do lose, use that term very loosely because if I had to rate them as, as far as caliber, I think Alshon Jeffrey now would be a number three somewhere, if even. Nelson Aguilar, probably uh, like a punt returner. Uh, Deshaun Jackson would probably be Deshaun. There I go again. Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> Shout out to Matt. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, if he, um, if he were still here, he'd probably he'd be our de facto number one, but I think he'd legitimately be a number two anywhere else, which says a lot about our scouting and talent acquisition. It just blows my mind because looking at what the practice squad guys were able to pull off coming in to this game, losing and pull a comeback victory in overtime. It just blows my mind looking at how the coaches evaluate these players and not activate them. And instead you go and sign people like Jordan Matthews off the street who don't, who come in and don't produce anything. And you've got guys like Greg Ward, who's been on the practice squad rotting away all season, coming and making plays. He did have that touchdown pass drop, but I'm okay with that because he made plays everywhere else, which makes up for it, unlike the rest of the wide receivers that we've had all season. So 
I think if we're looking at this game in terms of like the positives, what I can take out of it, I've got to say that I don't want anybody to ever get hurt. That's definitely never something I'd wish for. But Alshon Jeffrey losing him in this game almost reset Doug Peterson's brain, I think, and just made him. <laughs> he was kind of like he had that that epiphany of, oh my God, I have to change the offense, which he should have had when Deshaun went out, you know, in week two. But he finally decides to change the offense. He finally, finally. and th- and this is what gets me is he puts the ball in players' hands instead of scheming these stupid dink routes, these comeback routes, these hitches, he starts doing screens for Boston Scott, which we'll jump into Boston Scott a little bit later. But Boston (laughs) Scott, a guy off the practice squad from the Saints, comes in and he's looking... I mean, Miles Sanders was hyped up as the guy that was going to be the future of the Eagles running back franchise. And Boston Scott comes in and just blows everybody away. Now, Miles Sanders had a hamstring thing. Okay, fine, whatever. Boston Scott came in on fire. He was hungry. And I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. Brock knows he follows me on Twitter. So does Keith. You have to give the ball to the guys that want it. Every single other receiver out there that we've had, Aguilar, Jeffrey, they don't ever seem to want the ball. Like it's thrown to them and it's kind of like, meh. And then you've got the professional tripper, Zach Ertz, who, you know, Every time the ball's thrown his way, he's either falling to the ground or falls immediately after catching it. Keith actually noticed it after <laughs> I mentioned it to him. He was telling me today at, at lunch, he was like, yeah, so uh, I looked at Zach Ertz about him falling to the ground all the time after you mentioned it. And it happens literally every play. And it's every play, every single play. He's saving uh, okay. himself for playoffs. <laughs> or, uh, you know, for his post-game career. This is all great, Mike, but... You know, this is against the Giants. The Boston Scout was able to do something. Um, losing Alshon Jeffrey maybe flipped a switch. But going forward, you know, maybe Jeffrey wasn't the best and Aguilar hasn't done anything. But where are the Eagles at now? I mean, uh, this is pretty train wreckish on the outside. They might have already had the worst wide receivers in the league and then to lose the top guys. How do you think that that's going to fare moving forward? And especially when, you know, you have the big game coming up against Dallas. Well, you know, I preach this a lot when I talk about football because everybody likes to look at stats. You know, nerd guy over there, Brock, likes to look at just stats and numbers. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say that one of the biggest pieces that nobody likes to talk about really, except for maybe people that have played football um, in the past, is chemistry. It comes down to chemistry and the mental piece of the game and confidence. And, uh, I just want to point out that nerds love chemistry. Um, it's one of my best subjects, actually. So, again, very incorrect. <laughs> I was I knew the periodic table inside and out, and I will not stand oh for God. this chemistry slander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, personal chemistry. All right, personal chemistry. Oh, never heard. But, of uh, yeah, <laughs> between players. I just think so. Here's the thing. And a lot of people are bashing Carson Wentz for the season he's had. He hasn't looked spectacular. I think he's been kind of set up to fail this season. You have a team, you know, ride your ride your wave into the Super Bowl, and you don't really get any of the credit anymore. And people are just like, oh, it's a one-off season. It really wasn't. From his stats from 2017 to 2018, his completion percentage increased. His accuracy improved. He was still a better quarterback at that time. But the big kicker here is that the offense never changed and they didn't acquire the personnel, the type of personnel 
that they had in that 2017 season. And you're seeing that right now. And when you look at what Carson Wentz has, what he's playing with, lack of chemistry is a big deal because he's had a, a rotating door of receivers throughout the entire season. He hasn't had a chance to build any chemistry. And we all saw what happened week one. He had a full offseason with Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson comes in week one against the Redskins, two 50-plus yard bomb touchdowns. It, it's, it's a big deal to build trust in chemistry with your teammates. And this type of win, I don't care what anybody says about the team's record, how bad they look, whatever the case may be. It's a divisional game. Divisional opponents play better than uh, against each other. And what better game to have for Eli Manning or the Giants in general to come into this game and knock the, the Eagles out of playoff contention? I think that was a big thing for them, and I, I think that's what they went in wanting to do. And they almost succeeded. And I this think- was a big step for, I, th- I think, not, not just for the team to pick up a little bit, that pick up that wave again, but for Carson Wentz to manufacture that drive the way he did, throw to people who nobody knows their names on this team and win that game in overtime, it says a lot about his character and it says a lot about what he can do when people are making plays for him. What a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say this since Doug Peterson said that the Dolphins were a good team and obviously they must have been if he said it, then the Giants are a freaking juggernaut. Um, but not really. This is a team that's 29th in the league in DVOA. Um, I mean, let's not get carried away here. It was compared to where it was and where it ended, you know, from halftime. Sure. That's great. But this was still a really, really bad team that Philly had at home. They're playing for everything. The giants are playing for nothing. They want to lose game for draft picks. They want chase young in that number two pick. Um, you know, I'm not saying that everything's unfounded or where you're coming from, but I wouldn't get too carried away with this win. It's, it's not as bad as losing to the dolphins, but this was on the same trajectory. Really dang close. I have to agree. Um, I mean, not only did they play the Giants, they played the Little Giants. I mean, they <laughs> they they just suck. And I think the first half, the Giants were actually playing. Um, they had they had a lot of good plays. They had two annexation of Puerto Rico plays go for them, uh, touchdowns, and they were up seventeen to three at half. <laughs> And what happened from there? They made some coaching adjustments because they need to tank and lose. And so they said, guys, you know, Eli, you've been great. Sorry that we're going to make you have one more loss than wins throughout your career. But we need this. And he understands because he's a he's a Giants player. He, he knows how the business <laughs> works. Um, I, I think that he might play one more game this year. And uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll let him get you know, went back, get back to even, but, um, going back to what you're saying with, with the Eagles and, and their drop passes going into this game, I don't know what it is now, but going into this game, they had the fourth most drop passes on the year, the fourth most, that means there's three other teams out there (laughs) that have more drop passes and we don't hear any complaining from them. It's all Eagles fans. They, all they do is complain about the drop passes. Then they don't even meddle in the top three. Keith, Keith, you have to have an accurate pass to be able to drop it. Uh, exactly. Of all the directions you Carson both could Wentz. have gone with this conversation, <laughs> this is the route you chose to take, which I find hilarious because, number one, if you look at that stat, none of those stats compare touchdown drops. And by my count, game-winning slash game-tying touchdown passes 
in crucial points of the game, he's had nine different drops. Nine. There's not a single team out there that has that many critical drops in the end zone that are going to be game-changing or game-time. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if those passes get caught, he's definitely considered a quote-unquote clutch quarterback, which is exactly what he was yesterday because his wide receivers made plays, which never happened. Now, you want to get to the inaccurate passes, which Brock's (laughs) trying to start fights uh, on Twitter today between other Eagles fans, which blows my mind. But Time the popcorn out. Inaccurate, uh, and I've broken this down a couple times now, but I guess I have to do it every time I, I fight Brock and Keith on this crap. But inaccurate passes is an inaccurate term to use in terms of what's going on on that team because it's been proven and stated multiple times on film breakdowns, the all-22s, that the wide receiver coaches are not adjusting the players and not having them run routes the way they're supposed to. If you have a five-yard dig route, you have to stop at that five-yard mark. You don't run to the seven and then make the dig. You don't do that. And that's what's happening right now, and that's the type of play that's happening. So Carson Wentz is throwing it to where he's quote-unquote supposed to throw it, and it and it's a miss, then it looks bad on him. And according to the eye test, that's an inaccurate pass. That, that, that's part of it. I, I do agree that that's part of it. You can't just look straight at completion percentage, but if you also look at the film, um, you can't say that he's been his most accurate self this year. Sure, Absolutely not. No, perfectly, he's, but he's definitely missed some throws that he has. He top, sails top balls. Quarterbacks haven't been missing. He 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 sails balls. I mean, that's something that happens a lot. And I think a lot of it stems from, you know, it's a it's a mindset. It's it, football's a mind game as much as it is a physical. You know, they get beat up, but a lot of it's thinking. And you know, Tom Brady, which cracks me up here, that Tom Brady receives no criticism for not having any chemistry with his wide receivers that he's got on the field, but one. And Tom Brady has looked pedestrian the entire season this year. And you haven't heard a word about it. You haven't heard inaccurate. Why? Because he's the best to ever do it. He's still going strong at 42. And he's in the winningest (laughs) team in the NFL. So, you know, to everybody else, oh, that doesn't doesn't matter that, you know, his passes don't look that great because of everything else he has done. That's total BS. And if you look (laughs) at his passes that he's had in these last, this, this last season, he hasn't looked like he normally has every other season. Why? Because he doesn't have the playmakers around him that he used to, and it's showing that a quarterback can only be as stellar as the playmakers on his team. I hear the nonsense that, oh, an elite quarterback elevates their receivers. No, they don't. They have to be on the same page. They have to be able to run the plays the right way for both of them to look good. The quarterback just gets all the credit and gets all the blame. Uh, Okay, so... I think I might know where you're going with this one, Mike, but just to kind of introduce, we want to do a segment every week on the Eagles and the Cowboys on the best performers and worst performers from the week before. So Mike is the uh, Eagles expert and fan here. I don't think there's going to be a big shock with your best performer, but who did you have from this past week? Clutch win over the Little Giants. Who was your best <laughs> performer of the week? Well, I'm, 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 I'm a little split between my best and my worst on having two of each, but I'm going to say I got to take my hat off to Boston Scott. Carson Wentz backpacked this team. Sure. He, he manufactured those drives, but Boston Scott looked like a man possessed in this game. (laughs) He came in. I mean, if anybody, if anybody knew who he was, 
I'd be shocked. But for the people that didn't know who he was and they'd be looking at him, they were like, they'd be like, did we just see a 24 year old version of Darren Sproles all over again? Because that's exactly what he looked like. He was getting those swing passes from the backfield. He was running up the middle hard, breaking tackles. He was breaking legs for sure when he was cutting back. And he just, he, he brought a different element to the team and he brought that spark that the offense needed to get the fire going. He looked like a man playing for a paycheck, had that actual, <laughs> actual hunger because, um, you know, his career depends on it compared to a lot of the other guys. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially, I mean, you look at players like Alshon and Nelson Aguilar, they got their ring, they got their paychecks. Like, what else do they have to play for? And I hate that mentality, but they're a lot of players in the NFL are like that. They get that win and they're set. They, they don't care anymore. And it's really sad, honestly. And Mike, uh, Lane Johnson going down in the in the second quarter. Um, what have you heard lately on him? Well, from my understanding and the information I've gathered, he's got a high ankle sprain. It sounds like he's probably going to be out this weekend against the Redskins, which well, I'm not too worried about it. Um, I think they're without Ryan Kerrigan anyways, so not that big of a deal. Uh, it sounds like he is going to be back for the Cowboys game. He's going to, he's going to muscle through it. I don't see him not playing unless the injury is more severe or he just, you know, can't function, but I don't, I don't see him not playing against Dallas. And then that's going to be huge. Yeah, Uh, for sure. Marcus Lawrence on that side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, he's just going to feast if he's, if he's going against Vitae, that there's no question about it. Or or then we've got um, one leg. (laughs) Peg leg Johnson. And then, of course, we we lost Alshon Jeffrey for the season. Looks like uh, I'm kind of getting the vibe from everything that I've been seeing that it could be an IR slash injury settlement release type situation um, because it does sound like a Lysenfrack or Lysenfrack. I don't even know how to say that word, um, but it's an injury to, in, to the foot. It's a uh, it's a fracture in your foot. And it's hard for players to recover from that. Uh, Jalen Mills, for example, was out for a year and a half recovering for that. And at Alshon Jeffrey's age. And, and his, weight class. And, and weight class. Yep. He's a, he, is, he is a bigger wide receiver for sure. He's already lost speed this season with the calf injury that he had and the ankle injury that he had from last year. He's not as fast as he was even in 2017. And this type of injury, I just... I don't see a player coming back from that and playing at a, at a, at a high level or even a mediocre level. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was your you know best performers, but who do you think was the worst performer this week for the Eagles? And um, so me and Keith can tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> so I've got two of them for this one, for sure. Because there was, this one was a tie for me. It was one okay. offensive and one defensive guy, Ronald Darby. Is the worst corner I have ever seen in my life. And I thought the corners in 2016 were bad. These guys, Ronald Darby takes the cake in that. I have never (laughs) seen a guy look like, I mean, he's basically a piece of bread that you put in the toaster and forgot about for three hours. And you come back and it's black and burnt and hanging off the edge of your toaster. It's just, it's terrible. That that piece of toast is, is burnt all the way through. He's always burnt. I just, he never makes a play, and when when the receiver messes up, you know, much like Jalen Mills does, but that's a different story, he tries to take the credit for it, and he tries to hype himself up like he was the one that made that play, and he's the one getting toasted every other play. He gets <laughs> bodied all the time. 
I ha- he can't make a tackle ever. And if he's getting close to making a tackle, he either gets stiff armed and thrown to the ground or just brushed off. And that's awful. He's got to go. But other than all that, he's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he's probably like you know, a, a D minus in my book. And then we've got, and I'm probably going to catch some flack for this because he's a beloved player on this team, but I think his time has passed. Jason Peters, left tackle. Wow. The, the false start machine. He's getting <laughs> he's getting burnt off the edge constantly. Every every game now, he's getting burnt off the edge. This game, he had a false start and then immediately gets burnt off the edge the very next play, sack. He's letting up way too much pressure. And when Andre Dillard, the rookie, was in there, the offensive line seemed to play better. Jason Peters, another one, he's gotten slower. There were a couple of runs yesterday seeing him try to get to the second level and make that block on the second level. He he just couldn't get there. He was not getting there fast enough, and he's not setting up the play right. There was one play where he looked absolutely gassed when Boston Scott was running a screen. Uh, he had to like hop off to the sideline because he was so tired. And I just, you know, I love him. He's a staple in the Eagles franchise. But there comes a time, just like Eli, where your time has passed. It's time to hand the reins over. You're not a starting caliber player anymore. Fair enough. Uh, Keith, what do you think about that? Well, um, I just, I'm, I know Mike, he had a, 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 really, he had a tie for third. Uh, Carson Wentz was the worst player on that <laughs> Eagles team. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because if I had to pick a best or worst from the Eagles, I think that the best player actually was Carson Wentz for that amazing comeback, no wide receivers, as Mike already drooled all over himself to tell you fourth overtime. But the worst player... <laughs> blue, you're Carson my boy, Wentz. Blue! <laughs> the worst player was Carson Wentz for the first three quarters. Um, here, was, here was Carson Wentz through the first three quarters against a bottom five defense in the NFL. He has them at home. They have nothing to play for. 16 for 26, 130 yards, zero touchdowns. Literally averaging under five yards per an attempt. Not a completion, an attempt. Um, that's not going to get it done against anyone anywhere near playoff caliber. Even for the game, the Eagles only averaged 4.9 yards per play. Atrocious. The exact same that the Giants actually averaged per play. It's just that Philly had the ball for so much longer because they got the ball in overtime and had long drives. Um, but then, as, as Mike mentioned, if we're being honest, Wentz did step, step up. Uh, this was the definition of clutch and flipping a switch with no receivers. He made some bullet throws down the stretch. So I, I heard some talk on you know the Philly blogs, Twitters, and stuff that mainly because Doug Peterson straight said it, people were agreeing with it, that this might have been the best game of Carson Wentz's career. And I just wanted to make sure and point out that that's complete blasphemy. It's disrespect to Carson Wentz because he had about as bad of a first three quarters as you can have without throwing a pick six every other play. Um, before Salvin, you get in an impressive way. I will give you that. As much as it hurts to say... I have to say, I somewhat agree with your point that you're making. He, he wasn't making plays in the first quarter. Uh, but... It, I have to go back to the coaching style and watching the play style that came out in that third quarter versus what was on the field in the first, the first two quarters. It was a completely different ball game. It was a completely different play calling scenario. And I mean, to me, and this, you know, is just my opinion, of course, but it seems like Doug Peterson just kind of unleashed Carson Wentz. There seems like there's a little mental nugget in there where Doug Peterson is in his ear saying, well, 
don't try to run too much. We don't want you to get hurt again. And we see that a lot with scrambling quarterbacks. And one play that stood out to me in the first quarter was a scramble that he made. It looked like he was going to be able to run for a first down. And he kind of had that mental, you, you could kind of see it in that, in that play where he just was like, no, I have to throw it. And then he stopped and threw the ball away. And to me, that comes down to coaching. And I think what happened is Doug in the second half, you know, sat down with Carson in the locker room and said, you know what, we're just going to unleash and let him go. And you, you move the quarterback for this time. You, you, excuse me. You move the pocket for this type of quarterback. And that's what he is. He's the best quarterback in the NFL outside of the pocket. So move the pocket for him. He is. He's the number one ranked outside Mahomes. of the pocket. Yeah, he is. He's the number one ranked outside of the pocket in the NFL. Number does, one. Does Nick Foles have enough attempts to qualify? <laughs> Nick Foles is terrible outside of the pocket. Yeah, Nick Foles oh, is a, the definition of a pocket quarterback. Forgot he never had to leave the pocket. Yeah. But now it's a fair point. He, he wins his top outside. Um, well, I, I think that, you know, that kind of. I think I can get off my soapbox now. I think I, th- <laughs> I think I've had enough for for the for the podcast. I think everybody's tired of hearing me. So I'm gonna pass it back yeah. over to you guys. Let's talk about that hey, god awful performance uh, of the Dallas Cowboys losing other... to are we the Bears? Are let's we let's hear it. About the Cowboys. I thought oh, that was like we're for sure talking a week about and a half ago. No way, it's happening uh, right now. Ago. The other half of this divided house is uh, equally ugly, maybe a little worse. So. Uh, before we really dig in and kill the Cowboys, because we've been doing that and they deserve it, I'll start with you, Keith. Who do you, you know? Who do you think, or what do you think was the the best part that stood out for the Cowboys this week? If there was any glimmering light, um, where did where did it come from? Um, so one thing that really stood out to me is that it's one less game of the year, so we're getting closer <laughs> to the end of the year. <laughs> it's absolutely Jason marvelous. Garrett, Jason Garrett is going to be gone unless they win the Super Bowl, which, um, you know, of course it's possible. They have the weapons, right? But um, no, it's it, the best thing was the running game. Um, it was consistent. Uh, Zeke has been looking good. I mean, if they can just keep up with the score to, to let him run more, then, then we'd be fine. But, I mean, you heard this probably eight or nine times throughout the game, this was a carbon copy. I don't know if y'all picked that up, but they said the words carbon copy like a million times. And uh, it was a carbon copy of the Bills game. They started out strong yep. on the first drive, scored a touchdown. Looked you have great. an amazing drive. I mean, it was an yeah. amazing first drive, both games. Yeah. It's it was. Like, uh, it's like they use all their good plays on the first drive and then like, <laughs> all right, now what? And, and so. So that's just coaching. I, it goes back to yeah. the coaching. It goes back to the coaching, and uh, it was just so bad. And and you can tell the player. All right, so this was supposed to be something good. Let's let's stay on the good. Brock, what do you got? <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's not much to talk about on the good. So I mostly agree with you. Um, the first drive was great. They started four for four on third downs, went down the field, killed a bunch of clock, but then immediately flipped, and they were zero for eight the rest of the game until it got into complete garbage time. Didn't didn't convert another third down the rest of the game. Um, which mainly falls on, on Dak's shoes. So, But I would agree with you that Zach, uh, Zeke started running really well. We just fell behind. And the reason the Cowboys ended up losing the rushing yard battle was because we had to pass because they were down by so much and because Mitch Trubisky was just running wild. It wasn't even the running backs, which brings me to my worst performance I of the week. I actually have a question on that, it, uh, okay. and this falls on the defense. It, uh, 
when you have Mitch Trubisky and you see him these last two games where they've kind of done similar uh, things with a mobile quarterback is what they should do is they moved things around for him and they let him run. Why on God's green earth would you not play a QB contained type of defense and just not let him get outside the pocket? Because inside the pocket, he's not very good. And there's not much they can do outside of that. Why would they not do that? I, I think Aikman actually did a good job of, he was rightfully roasting the Cowboys this week, but he was actually pointing out a lot of good things that Rod Marinelli as a defense coordinator has a lot of strengths, but they have Chris Rashard taking on some of the responsibility because his weaknesses come from lack of creativity. And I think that was, what was happening is the Cowboys were sitting their base defense, but with, when you have a young quarterback who struggles mentally but has some physical tools, that's the worst thing you can do because you're letting him see the same thing every play. And because the Cowboys' defensive ends are actually so good at rushing and they're so used to getting to the quarterback, Trubisky was able to, to take advantage of that, knowing that the Cowboys weren't going to divert or do any kind of contain because they had two good pass rushers. Um, and it, it all comes back to coaching, Mike. I mean, there was just a lack of adjustment to a quarterback who couldn't beat you that well with his arm um, and letting him constantly pick up these third down and free yardage with the legs. And then the secondary, which is going to lead me right into my worst performance of the week, was stuck in a hard place where they didn't want to come up and stop the run or cover anyone. So even though this week, especially on defense, my worst performance is Xavier Woods, one of the duo of the worst safeties in the NFL. And I really do think that the Cowboys safeties are just as bad as the Eagles receivers whenever Heath's injured. <laughs> Heath is a perfectly suitable kind of average, what you'd expect from a no-name white safety out there. He hustles, he's all the stereotypes, not that fast. But he's in the right spots. When he's out there and we have Xavier Woods and Thompson, it's horrible. They, they have the worst instincts. They blow coverages, literally will just be in the same spot as each other and no one's in the middle of the field. So they're getting beat over the top while simultaneously not coming up to stop the quarterback runs, not coming up to stuff the run. Um, it, it's really the sore spot for the Cowboys. They have all pro talent, pro bowl talent at every level except for safety. And it's one of the main reasons that they're 22nd in DVOA horrible defenses here and step back the See, that's why that's why i'm not buying them. it and yeah. that's that's my problem with that is that they're positionally everywhere else on the defense they uh, compared to other teams have some of the best players out there you have the best linebacker duo which van der Esch was hurt i'll give you that but assign your your mike linebacker and have him <laughs> trail mitch trubisky i don't care what anybody stop playing zone with your linebacker and have him cover Trubisky and not let him run because that's all they had to do this game. And I, I well, think I, I think it I think it does come down to coaching specifically. It it was a lot of man coverage that he ended up being able to run on against because our corner covering people and it's really the safeties or the linebackers whoever's not in a man coverage on the play to be able to recognize that. And I totally agree that there's coaching, but the safeties have no recognition. Uh, the Cowboys actually have the best defensive line and court. Um, in terms of pressure percentage, they have 54% of quarterback dropbacks this year. They've created pressure, which is number one in the NFL. And Robert Quinn, who, let's be honest, doesn't care about stopping the run and is pretty selfish going for attacks, but he's number one in the NFL at beating his man about a third of the time he beats his man. Demarcus Lawrence is sixth in the NFL in win rate about a fourth of the time he's beating his man. So when you look at that, you look at Byron Jones on the outside, you have good um, coverage linebackers. You can put all that together and say, why is this defense struggling? Part of it's coaching, but part of it is literally the worst safety. If they were even close to average, I think the unit would be performing a lot better. Um, so that, that's my standout bet. What did you think, Keith? What did you see that was going on in the game? 
I'm sorry, you cut out there. What did I see? It was going wrong for the Cowboys in this game. What was your worst performance or something that stood out to you that just was awful? I mean, it it seems like the effort isn't there. Um, you see all these tackles get blown. Um, there was a play where two defenders kind of just w- were wondering who's going to be the one to go for the ball. They both didn't go for it, and then the pass goes right right over them and um, gets picks up a, a big first down. So it's just you got to think the coaching has to to make these players smarter. Um, the Cowboys this year are zero and seven when trailing at half. Uh, that's just horrible if, if you're ever trying to come back. So if the Cowboys get down, then the game's over. You can turn it off. But um, I just see lack of effort as, as really just a big thing, big key takeaway and, and missed tackles. I mean, even Sean Lee, who is one of the most consistent defensive players that we've had when he's healthy, he he was missing tackles. Um, and it was, it was the whole defense. And you got to think that, they're not wanting to play for Jason Garrett anymore, uh, but you got to also hope that you know they see themselves. They still have a chance to win this division and and go forward and make it to the playoffs. But they're but, not going to. Well, and that's fine. I I actually have told Mike this. I really hope the Cowboys don't make the playoffs so that they could get a better draft pick. I mean, if you if you lose the division it's gonna drastically change well not drastically but you know we'll we'll have a pretty big gap in between uh, uh, last place in the playoffs versus last place uh, uh, in, in the league i'm not there yet I, I i see where you're coming from but i still look at all the talent on this team maybe i'm a fool because jason garrett's never gonna get the most out of it but the, i mean the cowboys are still eighth in dvoa eighth in the league in efficiency um, and this is going to bring me to actually have a crazy stat. I want to have each of y'all to have a guess on it here in one moment. But I'm still rooting for them to make the playoffs. If they don't make it, at least we'll get a new coach. But I do think that there's still that small chance they put it together and make a run. But part of the reason I feel that way, um, and obviously I'll know it's going to be a good answer if I'm asking you, but I would like each of you to just guess really quick, where do you think the Cowboys rank in total offensive yards per game this year in the NFL? First. 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 They are first. You are right. They are Ooh. first in the NFL and second in DVOA. The Ravens are both in efficiency by a good margin, but they're first in the NFL in offense. And what's a crazier stat, though? Here's actually the craziest stat. I couldn't believe it when I looked this up, but I actually double-checked it. The Cowboys are fourth all-time ever in any team who's ever played in the NFL in yards per game. The 2019 Cowboys, let me repeat, have the fourth most yards per game of all time. That is like upper echelon offense. But you say, well, if that's the case, why are they 6-7? and seven? It's a bad defense, you know, but it's not that bad. Two reasons. One is they have the 32nd DVOA special teams. That's costing them points. But if you look at the other teams that are up there all time in yards per game, 2011 Saints are number one. They average 34 points per game. 2013 Broncos, number two, average 38 points per game. And then the 2000 Rams, greatest show on turf, 34 points per game. The Cowboys are down to 25.7 points per game. But we have a team that's averaging the fourth most yards ever in the history of this crazy league that's only averaging 25.7 points per game. That, that goes back to terrible special teams making, missing some kicks, terrible third down efficiency and red zone scoring, and Dak throwing too many picks. The red, he looks great between the 20s, but when he gets into the red zone, it's just not been succeeding. I think some of that's bad luck, but whenever you see those stats, Keith, that's what makes me as a Cowboy fan say, oh my gosh, this offense has something. Kellen Moore has done something right for this offense. 
everyone keeps saying, you know, blasting all the coaching staff. I think Kellen Moore done a good job. Our scheme is good. Um, but really, there's so much potential. This isn't just America's getting all the hype. There are really good players putting up really good stats that aren't getting results because they're choking at the end of these drives. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not yeah. shocking. It's the fourth most ever. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. Everyone's saying, you know, what's wrong with Dak? What's going on? Something is clicking on the offense to be in an all-time list like that. Um, but they just well, got to I mean, fix what's on the back end of those they do have They do have a top-tier wide receiver core. So, I mean, that's, it, that's got something to do with it. To have and and the running back and the line. I would. It, it's good everywhere. I mean, the Cowboys. So, I think that we all think that the coaching – is what really needs to change. Um, and there are a lot of rooms that unless, like he said, the Cowboys make the Super Bowl, Jason Garrett's going to be gone. So before we move on to the rest of our topics around the NFL, um, just wanted to touch on some of the rumors that have been going around and, and see you know, how you guys would feel about these replacements. So a few of the names that are out there that could replace Jason Garrett are really hot names from college. There are some in the NFL, but the ones that are swarming right now are the people from college that uh, kind of the sexy names. So Chris Peterson just stepped down at Washington. Is a name being thrown around. He's always run a pro style. Always seemed to have interest in the NFL, but dedicated to his job. Urban Meyer, obviously one of the most successful college coaches of all time. Left Ohio State last year. And then Lincoln Riley, really close to Dallas right there in OU. Offensive guru. Um, are kind of the three names being thrown out right now. Keith, as a Cowboy fan, I'll start with you. Do you think that any of those coaches would be good hires? Um, and if you had to pick, which direction would you go out of those three? What I think, I'm going to say yes. All three, <laughs> just get them all. Uh, <laughs> Write the checks. Bring your green hat. Write the checks. If I had to pick one, uh, just because of all the buzz around him, I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley. And that's because I just think he would, he would fit our system well. And um, honestly, um, Urban Meyer, just the fact of his – you know, troubles that he got into at the end there. Not, you know, it's not something he did personally, but he was affiliated. And I just, the Cowboys have already had enough of that with their players um, getting in trouble. So just having that also surround the team, um, I just, that alone just drives me away from him. So if I had to pick, I'd go with Lincoln Riley. Mike, who do you not want to see the Cowboys? Who would scare you the most if you, See an Adam Sheffer tweet pop up that they're the next Cowboy head coach. Honestly, I would say Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, I think, would have the ability to come in and just transform the entire identity of the team and take the reins. I, I you know, yeah, he's had he's had some things surrounding him, and you know, it, it, Dallas loves the problem children. So <laughs> why not bring him in and let him whip up the Dallas team into shape? I think yeah, I'd be more worried about him. Than, than I would Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley is great. He's an offensive-minded coach. He'd probably make a lot of changes to the offense as well. But I don't think the offense is the problem. Yeah. And, and that's actually where I kind of come down is after looking at this and, and watching the Cowboys are here, I think our scheme is good. I think Kellen Moore is a good mind and maybe a future head coach himself. He just needs a little more experience. And that's what makes me a little bit nervous about these hires coming from the college game. You know, Chris Peterson, I think, would be um, – possibly a better hire than Urban Meyer even because Kellen Moore used to be his quarterback. They have a very similar mind. So I think if he took over the job, he could keep Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator. And I would be excited. It's not a sexy name. He's always been more of a blue-collar coach. 
but he's a guy whose teams always play hard, great game management, and he can kind of let Kellen Moore um, still run the show offensively while sharing up the defense because his teams always play tough on defense. Uh, I would Urban love Myers. to see Lincoln Riley come in and be the <laughs> offensive coordinator for Philadelphia. If you're listening, Lincoln, sign with the Philadelphia Eagles as, boss, as offensive coordinator right now. If he signs as an offensive coordinator anywhere, I'm going to assume he was taken hostage. I'm going to call the FBI on Mike, knowing that he would be behind it, and uh, we're going to get to put behind, behind bars. I'm not going to stand for it. We're going to have to find a new robot voice. Well, I think we're talking about acquisitions. We're talking about uh, you know different coaches, but let's talk about a player acquisition that could take place in the offseason. Definitely not for sure, but we know he wants out. Your one and only OBJ doesn't want to be with the Browns anymore. He's tired of it. He's tired of losing. He wants to be traded to a contender more than likely. Here's the kicker. I don't think the Browns want to do that. They put a lot of stock into him, but if somebody comes knocking with a good offer. I think, <laughs> uh, I, th- I think they, he, they'd be inclined to give him up. Now who's going to do that? I don't know. It, my thing with OBJ and I'm sure most of you can agree is the drama. The dude is a drama queen. And I don't know that I want that to come into my locker room and change up the the chemistry that's in there. And he's definitely, you know, he's a diva. He wants the attention. He wants the ball. He, he That's what he doesn't like about being on the Browns is that he doesn't get the ball enough. Yeah, they're losing. But he, the first thing he did was complain about his targets. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, think, I think he could be dealt this offseason. We know he doesn't want to be there. But I don't know that there's going to be that many buyers. What do you think, Brock? Okay, so b- before I kind of weigh in here, let's you know even stop talking about hypotheticals. The Eagles specifically, we just spent you know ten minutes <laughs> on just the Eagles receivers being terrible. You've said multiple times you want them to go receiver in the first round. So I'm going to put it to you: if you had to decide right now, Mike, in December, Eagles GMs calling you up and saying you're making this call, should we trade our first round pick for OBJ this offseason? Your answer would be. No. Wow. wow. The, this this draft class is the Big most stacked, the most stacked wide receiver draft class that we've probably ever seen in our lifetime. I don't think cool. there's been a more stacked wide from a talent class. perspective. You're just hoping and praying that one of those guys is as talented as OBJ. Maybe, maybe, but Rugs, Judy, uh, the, those type of guys. There's 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 twenty of them, and I did, actually played with a little fun tool today, and I Brock and I talked about it. Uh, the uh, mock draft tool that I found where you can actually draft for your NFL team and pick the players and just do a little mock draft with them. It's just like a fantasy draft like you would your fantasy team, but it's the actual NFL draft. And there are some serious, serious contenders in the wide receiver position for almost any team. I mean, just looking at, I played with it and looking at the receivers that I picked. Now, granted, I did go receiver heavy in this draft, (laughs) but I got Henry Ruggs in the first round, KJ Hamler in the second, and then Devin Duvernay, the Texas favorite in the fifth round. But, you know, he might not be there. He, he, you know, he he could be picked up depending on what he does on the pro day, um, the combine. You never know. He could go a lot sooner, but being able to, to get him, uh, Granted, it's computerized, but being able to get him in the fifth round says a lot about the depth of this this draft yeah. class at wide receiver. It, it is deep. That, that's a really good point. Um, 
that's something to consider. Well, what do you think, Keith? Is OBJ worth the drama? I think so. Um, he, he, it's been talked about lately that his injury has held him back, and the Browns didn't treat him right with that. You know, he probably should have had surgery at the beginning, and that could have been maybe just a two or three week uh, absence that he had, and and came back healthy and and was able to look like old school OBJ that that we all know. So. I I don't think he trusts the Browns, and he got traded there. He didn't pick the Browns, so he can he can make the choice to go where he wants. And and it's you know you're hearing that he's telling multiple teams you know during uh, before or after games you know come get me get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what um, Keith I, I ams me at work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> fire, the fire alarm, get us out of here. <laughs> Like the like the happy Gilmore lady. Um, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> I think I killed the beast of mystery. If I just just because I know this league, I mean this league, right? You know where he's gonna go. He's going to go to the Patriots. Oh, uh, you, I was, as soon as you said that, I was like, the Patriots. Yep. He's going to go to the Patriots. I mean. And he's going to play who, for who somebody other than Tom Brady. Who needs receivers <laughs> more than the Eagles? It's the Patriots. And what? Who can make moves right now? The Patriots. Can we Can we kick Keith off the podcast? Is it? Uh, he's, he's making no. a lot of sense. I don't. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, so. I'm disappointed. Here, Here's I kind of um I kind of lean with Keith and I kind of lean with you, Mike. So here's OBJ started his career extremely well. He was top ten in football outsiders dire stat for wide receiver his first two years in six as a rookie is actually unheard of for rookie wide receivers. He was making amazing plays. Um but then he had that great catch against the Cowboys, got a lot of fame, and he doesn't seem like the kind of person that handled the endorsements particularly well. Could so, because since then, the last four years, he's been twenty ninth wide receiver in that stat. 2017, he didn't even play enough to qualify. 2018, he was 27th. And this year, for the Browns, who have Baker Mayfield, he's 52nd in the league. 52nd as wide receiver. This guy is not performing. He had Eli thrown to him, though. He had Eli thrown to him, and then now he's got the Browns. Let's face it, the Browns, uh, they've been a crap show this entire season, and they were super hyped. I think it's the coaching. I'm not buying the coaching yet. I don't think they were set at that point. They uh, went and just they, they brought in, they brought in a bunch of big names and they expected them all to gel immediately, and that's clearly not what happened. Okay, okay. So you're bringing in my main point here. Uh, he's like you said, he's a diva. He does not like not having the targets. He's not going to like to lose. He's not a model teammate. Let's be honest. But we've seen this kind of wider tier before. Randy Moss, amazing in Minnesota. T O T O. Exactly. But the, Randy Moss went to Oakland. Was terrible. Patriots, 2007, set the touchdown record. T O is the perfect example. Never happy unless the team's winning is putting up stats, which is why, and I don't want the Cowboys doing it for most teams in the NFL, but he already took my two points. If I was the Patriots and Tom Brady comes back, or if I was the Eagles, as a Cowboys fan, if I saw a first-round pick traded for OBJ from either of those teams, I would not be happy because I would know, oh my gosh, when this guy is happy and he's locked in and he has an accurate quarterback, he's a top-five receiver in the NFL. He has that kind of speed, that kind of playmaking ability. Um, so I actually just, I mean, I, I would be torn. Right. I, hope they don't I, I would, I would be torn if, if they, honestly, if they went for him, I would be both happy and disappointed because somebody else is going to get the wide receiver in the first round, Judy in 
is is honestly the one that I think is going to be. And CC Lamb is another one. Um, but um, yeah, those two going in the first round, the probably the best wide receivers to get one of those two. <laughs> they might have to finish six ten to get CD Lamb. Or Are you kidding? Game. They just got to trade Alshon Jeffrey for a first round pick. <laughs> it's obvious. Um, it, Howie, if you're listening, do it. I think that Lubies might take Alshon Jeffrey just. To- we need a table busser. Um, Kelvin Benjamin already took him out of business by eating too much, so I think right in the where he can attract people and not take him out of business. Um, is there a, is there a group with him, Alshon, and Cheeseburger Lacey? <laughs> <laughs> I got um, them cheeseburgers, man. <laughs> unemployed footballers anonymous yeah if not then maybe they should start one it'd probably help they've got a breakfast lunch and dinner club <laughs> and, the, and the meeting only lasts an hour <laughs> all, three, all, all three meals served up well uh, we're we're talking about feasting right so let's talk about some some coaches that are feasting i think we ooh, can I jump like right that. into that one we've got a list of top five coaches this season and uh who were who were taken so yeah. And, Let's and go with the, the least prepared person, Keith. What <laughs> do you think? I want to clarify one thing about it before <laughs> I let Keith take all the weight. But this is my uh, – not just who's done the best job this year. I don't know if this is how y'all did it. So I just did the best five coaches in the NFL, like my top five. But if you know, I was starting a team, I, I can guarantee you Jason Garrett won't be there. So who would I want out of, out of the coaches? You um, ruined it. <laughs> so Y'all can do it y'all's own way. Who y'all think y'all you know, done it this year. So y'all just – Go by your own criteria, but Keith, take take it away, buddy. Yeah, and to give y'all some coach. background, um, I'm packing for my trip to to Colorado, where I leave at 5:30 in the morning tomorrow. So I got to get up at probably four, <laughs> and I literally just made this list five minutes ago. But I honestly don't don't even worry; it's actually a perfect. We're list. not self-proclaimed this is, gurus for nothing. <laughs> I I actually did top five coaches of how I feel they've done this year. Um, so I'm just gonna explain that so uh number five oh, maybe oh, you've oh. heard of them number start five with number, start with number one backwards what are you doing here Steve, why Steve. are we going i told you he was the least prepared one? he was the least prepared <laughs> oh, oh my brand. god on that's brand. no fun all right all right yeah we did do it do it this way last time fine number one i got kyle shanahan for the 49ers the way wow. that he's turned that team around. I mean, this year they, you know, they got Garoppolo back. Um, everyone's looking great. The defense is just playing outstanding, and um, they're just a, a machine. Um, they, they are the NFC Ravens to me, and um, I just think that he's done a great job there. So that's who I have num- number one. Mike, do you agree or disagree? I actually agree with everything he said. I think I think we've got to get some give some hats off though to his defensive coordinator because that's really kind of the big difference maker for that team right now for the 49ers, but Kyle Shanahan has really brought the team together. He's he's developed Garoppolo in the right ways and he's he's really gotten that team going and they're motivated. They want to play for him and I I think that makes a big difference. And last week I thought tough such good lists everyone was close this week. I, it's already over for you guys. My list is already won. How can you not have Bill Belichick number one? Oh my Bell. god! I, I, I <laughs> See, we weren't for... dumb and get it off of overall stats no. for the entire for the no, last no, no, twenty no. years. No, no, no. But here's the thing: even if you just go by this year, I think you're taking his greatness for granted. If you actually look at that Patriots roster, where's all the All Pros? The Cowboys have like three times as many as them and can't even be five hundred. 
the the Patriots have the number one defense in the league this year. You don't have to take my word for it. They have the number one DVOA, and um, it's not been that close. The secondary has been amazing. Even with their quote-unquote struggles last two weeks, they've been close to average. You know, the defense has Gilmore that's really good, but they don't have elite pass rushers. They don't have the fastest linebackers in the league. And Belichick is the defensive guru. That's what he does. He showed the NFL how to stop Sean McVay in the Super Bowl. And he's been doing it all season long. Uh, he lets Josh McDaniels handle the offense a lot more. But he takes over the defense. So he's you both get to have the best head coach and the best defensive coordinator in one with Bill Belichick. And to be still second in the AFC, 10-3, and three, with not that much talent on the roster, is even if you take all time out of it, which obviously is the greatest coach of all time that's still coaching right now, I think just this year you can make a great case that one. You know, Brock, I'm I'm disappointed in you. You took the lazy way out and I'm I'm ashamed. And <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and jump right into my number two. And I'm gonna say Mike Tomlin is Ooh, my number two. Me and, me and Mike are oh, smart. Mike, dude, oh my Mike Tomlin why with I what he's number two done. Mike Tomlin, but you go ahead. I'm gonna say so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the reasons right now. Mike Tomlin is playing with a third-string quarterback. He was able to still motivate his team. He's been without James Conner. Juju Smith-Schuster has been hurt. And he've, he still managed to, to build a winning team and succeed with what's been dealt to him. I mean, he's without Ben Roethlisberger. They, they, of course, they got rid of Antonio Brown. We all know that. And he still has a solid team for the Steelers. And I'm just, it blows me away that he's able to do that. I was expecting them to lose out and they've performed very well and he's kept them together. He's, he's managed the team well. And it's definitely showing that he is a great coach and he commands that locker room. Well, okay. As the one who disagreed here, um, I will say that I did not have Mike Tomlin in my top five, but I was doing this on all time, which doesn't necessarily help my case. I'll have to admit that if the Steelers make the playoffs this year, there's no way he, you can leave him out of top five. I'm just dubious that they're going to make it, so we can touch on it a little bit later, because he has done a great job. They have the third best defense in the league, and the only merit that you can really take from him is that he didn't hit Mason Rudolph in the head with the helmet. He waited for another person <laughs> to do it. If he was smart, he would have taken out Rudolph from the back without ever seeing him coming two weeks ago. Um, but no, he had to have Miles Garrett show him the light so the Duck could get in there at quarterback. So that's got to be like, at least drop one point in the, in the rankings. My number two, and this is, again, based on who I'd want to start my team with. So even though I do think he's done a good job this year, it's been you know, a tough road for him this year, but I think that the last few years really show how good he is, and that's Sean McVay. Um, Sunday night against the Seahawks, he kind of started to show his brilliance again when the receivers are healthy and golf isn't totally screwing him over. He knows what he's doing. The team um, you know, is actually doing pretty good defensively this year. And offensively, they're really starting to find their... He, he's so good that not only did his offensive coordinator get hired and is now a coach of the second seed in the NFC, the Packers, in Matt LaFleur, but also Zach Taylor went to the Bengals, was just his quarterback coach last year. Anyone who ever touched Sean McVay, was in the coach's room with him, served him water, um, anything, got a head coaching interview in the offseason because he's the hot name and for a reason. Schematically... And his presence of the team, he just has the kind of mind that if I'm starting a team, this is the guy I want. He's 30. I can grow with him for the next 30 years. And I think he's a total package. So if you're not going to go with Bill Belichick, the GOAT, if I'm going to go younger on the scale, Sean McVay is my number one pick. And number two overall on my list. 
He made my honorable mention. I had him yep. at number six. He was, Tomlin was for me. I had him at number made... five. Ooh. Well, we know a Keith pick for number five. <laughs> so I, I guess I guess I'll just go to to my number three. <laughs> which I I have uh, John Harbaugh as my number three. Okay. Are, Mike, are we in you've done it again. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing because Keith just made his list ten minutes ago, and <laughs> he's got the same guys Mike, as me. You should be worried. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, Keith spent two minutes and made a list just. Get on oh, I'm embarrassed, <laughs> but I mean, I'll let Keith take this one. I took number, I took number two. So Keith, why don't you touch on why John Harbaugh is in top five? Well, first of all, um, this top five was thought out very carefully by me. Um, <laughs> and to make my point at why John Harbaugh is the number three coach that I would pick for this year, Brock, um, look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. The Ravens, when I, when I look at the Ravens last year, they're they're a pretty good team. They got you know pretty good defense. Their run game is is good. Their passing game definitely needed work. And and this year it's like he you know people were talking about is he going to lose his job? What are they going to do? And I think he just went all in. And you know they obviously have a great offensive coordinator, um, but he he's really just made that team mesh well. And I mean just look at them. They I think they've won eight or nine in a row. And they almost look unstoppable. The Bills, you know, their defense is great, and they actually played really well against the Ravens. Um, if if the Bills were playing any better, I think they actually could have won that game and, and made the Ravens look human for once that for once in the past two or three months that we've been watching. But I just I'm really impressed with with the way that he's uh, coached this team this year. Mark, anything to add before I say why I disagree with the two of y'all who I'm starting to think <laughs> on each other? You know what? I don't. I don't even want to hear your reasoning because you're wrong. I uh, asked. John Harbaugh has elevated the Ravens. I remember when people would talk about the Ravens, and I would laugh because <laughs> they, they the Ravens were awful. I mean, since the Super Bowl season that they won, they haven't been that great. They they've always had an okay defense. That's always been one of the things that, that's their strong suit. But. What he did and allowing it, this is the big thing, letting your offensive coordinator take control of the offense and tailor it to the skill that you have on your team. It's a big deal, folks. It is a big deal. And that's exactly what he did. And he's running the team. And look, look at the way they're going. I'm, they're probably, if not AFC championship favorites, Super Bowl favorites for sure. Okay, you just made my point for me, though. And I will agree that if we're just going on this year, I'd probably agree with you guys, top three. But I'm going to disagree because I made my list on overall who I'd want. And again, he's one of the guys easily in the top ten, consistent. But you said two things. One, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, did a lot of the work that made their offense and Lamar Jackson better this year. Now, John Harwell gets tons of credit for embracing the analytics on the decision-making on fourth down. That's all him. And for letting Greg Roman take care, you know, take a huge change in the offense and model it after a college offense with NFL adjustments. He gets all the credit for allowing that to happen, but he can't get all the credit for the performance because there's some of that to go around to his assistant coaches. But the main reason I didn't have him in my top five, because before this year, I think he really struggled the past few years. He was clinging on to Joe Flacco. They had a really boring offense and he was scared to take chances. So I'm glad to see that he went from that. But if I'm picking a coach going forward, I want someone more than Sean McVay, who's, you know, I know is going to innovate and not someone 
seemed to, for a few years, really be behind the eight ball and almost below average coach. Again, he's top 10. I'm not trying to slam to the guy, but he just missed my list. Much like Mike Tomlin, both of them have proven track records, but um, they didn't quite make it for me because I don't think either of them has a schematic mind to give you an edge anymore. They're both just overall managers to me. Um, well, Brock, since you're clearly the, the genius here, and by genius I mean the absolute <laughs> moron, <laughs> well, let's go to your number four then. Let's hear who you got there. Yeah, so my number three was Kyle Shanahan. You already talked about him, but just for the My number four is, might be controversial here, but I think he's actually one of the most underrated coaches in NFL history, uh, and that's Andy Reid. And before everyone makes a joke that he's the coach of the Eddie Lacy, Kelvin Benjamin, Alshon Jeffrey Luby's team, um, and he's bad with clock management. You know, he was an Eagles coach. You know this firsthand, Mike. This guy can coach, and he can coach with all different kinds of teams and all different kinds of quarterbacks. And that's what set him apart for me that put him number four on my list. Um, you look at Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes. They couldn't be more different. One has a noodle for an arm, one has a rocket arm. One's a game manager, one's going to take chances. Go all the way back to Donovan McNabb. Started as a scrambler, a pocket passer. Andy Reid has lasted for two decades in the NFL and consistently had top offenses. He's had coordinator of coaching tree that's more impressive than Bill Belichick's. And if you go back to last decade, he was ahead of the game. When everyone was running the ball more than passing, the Eagles were the only one under his, you know, coaching philosophy that were passing 50% of the time. Of course, everyone learned that was the right thing to do. Kind of like shooting threes in the NBA. People figured out, oh, this is smart. He knew it ahead of time. Um, and he's kept being ahead of the curve. If you look at how he embraced jet sweeps and misdirection in his offense, screen passes, and play actions, he always did these things on a higher percentage of downs than the average NFL team. And all the way up to how he runs his offense with Patrick Mahomes. They get the running backs involved. They get Travis Kelsey involved. Always really innovative in their route trees. He literally hasn't fallen off at all in 20 years. If it weren't for a few hiccups in the game management, and especially his costume team in the playoffs, I think schematically, as an offensive line, he has the most proven of anyone in the NFL over the long run, more than enough to be number four on my list. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, Brock, I have to say that done it yet again and made me happy. I actually agree with you on this one. We both had Andy Reid at number four. And I am absolutely in agreement with you. I think being able to stick around in the league as long as he has, as long as Belichick has, and being able to maintain a constant point of attack on offense the way he has and develop his offense around his players speaks volumes to him. And I 100% agree with you. Yep. Um, wow, it's the first right pick you've made all night, Mike. I'm honestly shocked. <laughs> tell me you didn't, you didn't cheat off Mike, Mike again. I mean, that'd be too good to be true. So, Mike, I couldn't disagree with you more. I mean, how can you put Andy <laughs> Reid four when he deserves to be five? I, mean, <laughs> 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 I, I had Bill Belichick at number four just because of it's Bill Belichick. I mean, that's why he was Brock's number one for who you would start going for the next 50 years as, as your head coach and uh, Bill Belichick with um, with the way that the the Patriots have been this year they they don't have receivers I mean the Eagles have much better receivers than the Patriots do I don't want to hear anything <laughs> from from Eagles fans but... oh my god <laughs> no but it's obvious Bill Belichick 
always deserves to be on any top five head coach list that you could possibly think of. So he's my number four. I have to say that I'm disappointed in both of you for leaving off one coach that deserves to be in the same category as Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, I think, at this point. And especially with what he did this season, Sean Payton. I think Sean Payton has really, doing what he did with Bridgewater coming in for the injured Drew Brees and still keeping the offense functioning at a high level and having the defense pick up the slack and really protect those games and still win. Teddy Bridgewater was 4-0 in the time he was playing. And I got to say that speaks volume because I've, I've never thought Teddy Bridgewater was the most talented quarterback arm strength wise. He's a, he's a great runner. He's good outside the pocket, but I've never thought talent wise. He had the best arm strength and was any, was accurate at all really. But looking at what he was able to do uh, in controlling the games with the hand he was dealt, I think Sean Payton deserves to be up there in the top five. I actually can't disagree. I didn't have him fifth, but I had him and then crossed him out for this next guy. So Sean Payton's a great job, another long track record. I wanted to talk more about this guy is why I put him number five, because I think the chance we're back in 10 years number one on everyone's list. And this is really my, uh, you know, wild card, if you will, it is Lincoln Riley. I purposely didn't want to talk about him too much earlier with the Cowboys, but I literally have Lincoln Riley as the fifth guy I would pick to start the Cowboys with. And I want to dive into now why he's my dream hire for the Cowboys, why anyone would be lucky to have him. Um, and it really comes down to the fact that he is running the best and most sophisticated, tricky offense in the world, and he's not even in the NFL right now. At Oklahoma, he's doing things that other college teams are copying every week, NFL teams are copying every week. And it's original. Somehow, in an era of spread offenses where everyone's copying each other, he keeps coming up with a better way to do the same things. If you look at what he did at Oklahoma, he had you know Baker Mayfield, number one offense in the country, number one in yards per play, wins the Heisman Trophy. The next year, he gets a new quarterback, Kyler Murray. Everyone says, oh, you know, he's short, can't throw the ball. Number one offense in the country, number one in the Heisman again, number one in yards per play. Both of those guys, by the way, Baker Mayfield had a great efficiency. Kyler Murray breaks that record the highest efficiency ever posted in college. Lincoln Riley has two of the top five top efficiencies the last two years. Then this year he gets in Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is doing well again. Um, invited to the Heisman final, probably not going to win. Again, number one in the country in yards per play and has his team back in the college football playoff. So if you're really looking at the best young minds, this guy might be above Sean McVay. He's a quarterback whisperer. Free agents are going to want to play for him. This fan base is going to get behind him. And I think that in the NFL, he might actually do better to get about recruiting. He doesn't have to worry about the defense that has been killing him in Oklahoma because of the kids. He can go hire a Wade Phillips type, take care of the defense, let the GM worry about that. This guy's got the offensive mind going forward, and I want the Cowboys to get him. I'm in love with him. I might um, be willing to have his children if he agrees to sign a contract with the Cowboys. We'll see. Uh, I just couldn't be higher on Lincoln Riley. I'm, I'm that impressed <laughs> with him. And uh, getting him out of Oklahoma and away from the Big 12 rival of the Longhorns wouldn't be the worst thing for me either. Brock again taking the easy way out. Just ruin the segment. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Which, well, that's been a lot of fun football talk. I think we're all pretty happy with you know everything we've talked about today, aside from the Cowboys sucking. But... We do have a fun little game for our lovely listeners who wanted to do something a little different. 
and um, kind of jump right into it. I'm going to go ahead and explain the rules. Brock and Keith are somewhat familiar with the rules, but I'm going to go ahead and explain them to our gentle listeners. So I've come up with the list of TV show quotes from three of our favorite TV shows, which we all know is The Office, Parks and Rec, and an old school gem, Friends. And I've found some great quotes. Some might be a little difficult to these two. Uh, others probably not so much. But uh, the way the point system goes and the way we're going to play this game, I'm going to read the quote. Brock and Keith are going to each take turns uh, guessing the quote. And the point system is awarded in two phases. You get the show right and you get the character right. If you guess the show correct and you get the character wrong, the other person has a chance to steal and guess the character and get one point off of that guess. Each of you has one, I'll repeat that, one lifeline use uh, where you can ask me to remove one of the shows that is not the quote. You only get to use it once, one per person, but you do have that lifeline available if you're having trouble guessing. Now, I took the liberty of flipping a coin here. And um, <laughs> hold on, I'm still reading the syllabus. Let me get these rules down. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll say it again three shows Friends, The Office, Parks and Recreation. One lifeline per person. I'm going to read the quote. You've got to get the show and the character. The winner of the coin toss was Keith, but because I don't like him, Brock gets to go first. Fair is fair. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to read the first quote off here, and um, I think it's a really good one to start with. And we're going to go ahead and go straight to Brock. Did you just pat yourself on the back for your own question before? You're absolutely started? right. I did because I you worked very hard. Mute your mic. I you pat your back. Jeez. I binged watch these three shows for the last week, looking for gem quotes to give you guys. Wow, tough. So life. here's here's the first one. Here's the first one. I used to be obese. Once you've conquered obesity, everything else is easy. Life literally moves in slow motion. I'm not saying I'm Superman, but let me just put it this way. If I were shot in the head, I'm pretty sure everything would be fine. I'd almost welcome it. Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie. I had some terrible thoughts that I was about to start saying something about Monica from Friends, but now I've come to my sense. I realized that this was from the greatest show of all time. It is from The Office. And the great cameo from Will Ferrell, D'Angelo Vickers, said that. That is my final answer. Brock gets the first question right. I actually thought y'all were going to struggle with this one, so I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> All right. Brock is absolutely right. That was D'Angelo Vickers from The Office. I got The that's Office a, knowledge down, Pat, man. That's actually like the three worst episodes that I hate the most <laughs> with D'Angelo Vickers. In okay, them. we're going to talk after I, this call. I despise uh, that. <laughs> But jumping to the next quote, moving on to Keith. All right. So better give me a layup like you did, Brock, on my first question <laughs> that you gave him. Be <laughs> All right. Here we go. The big question is, does he like you? Because if he doesn't like you, this is all a moo point. You know, like a cow's opinion. It doesn't matter. It's moo. Jeez, man, what is this? <laughs> <All right. laughs> yes, 
just by the sounds of it, I'm gonna go with Parks and Rec. Me. Yes. We have our first rug. Oh, and Keith loses both of them because he guessed the show wrong already. Yeah, so I have yeah, to steal what... two points here. <laughs> so, Brock, what do you okay. got? It's from Friends. I was pretty confident of that before, right? From Friends. Am I yes. correct? You are okay. correct and on the show. Guess, I honestly don't know this one, but knowing the characters, and it just seems obvious that it would be Joey Tribbiani. Oh my god, Brock is two for two today. Uh, oh man, yes, that is, that is <laughs> yeah, that is definitely Joey Tribbiani. Um give some context is when he's talking to Rachel about a guy she has a crush on. And um the the follow up line to that was, Am I crazy? Or did he just make a lot of sense? But <laughs> <laughs> So since Brock took the steal. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna go ahead and stick with Brock because we're rotating. Brock gets his turn again. So Let's sorry, go. Keith, you suck. But <laughs> so the third quote. Yes, I'm married, but my wife understands that a good politician has to be appealing to the ladies. The fact that I haven't even gotten close to cheating on her is a disappointment to us both. Hmm. Well, I will be honest that. I watch The Office about once a year. My wife loves Friends, and we watch that quite often as well. Parks and Rec is the one that I love but have not seen that many times, and I don't recognize the quote, so I'm going to go with Parks and Rec. Okay, you're right on Parks and Rec. Okay, and for the quote, it is so out there and crazy. I honestly have no idea this is a complete guess, but I'm going to go with the man, the myth, the legend, Jerry. Wrong! Brock gets only one point for guessing the show. Okay, okay. And Keith gets to guess the character. Keith, who do you think it is? Ooh, man. So, like Brock, I don't know if Brock has seen it more than once. I've seen Parks and Rec one time, which doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means I've only seen it one time. I actually thought it was great. I am pretty stumped on this because I can't think of someone that has... That would be willing to cheat. That's married. So I'm gonna go with pass. Oh man, I'm disappointed in the both of you now. That that was the great Tom Haverford. Remember, he had the the green card marriage to his Canadian wife. Mm, yes, <laughs> I forgot this entire plot point. <laughs> I yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's got to go back to Keith now. Okay. Uh, Keith yes. gets to guess first on this one. So I'm going to go ahead and read off the next one. Okay, here's the whole thing. Here are all my skeletons. When I was 16, I had sex with a married woman. When I was in college, I smoked a decent amount of pot. Is that it? That's it. All right. I don't want to go too quick here because I think I already know the show. And possibly the person. Okay, I'm gonna go with friends. Wrong. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh I, man. I love this game so much. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of hoping Keith would get one of these, so I didn't have to first. I don't know. I don't recognize the quote again. I got too much on my high horse. I'm scared. My biggest fear right now is that this is from a late season of The Office because I generally don't watch it all the way through past season 7 
except maybe for a little bit of California. So season nine of The Office could have stumped me if this is one of those characters. I'm going to go with Parks and Rec, though, because I do not recognize it. So Parks and Rec. You're correct on the show. Okay. And then my guess on Parks and Rec, um, this just sounds like something that Ben would say when they were talking to uh, Leslie, so I don't remember it, but I'm going to guess Ben. Wrong. You only get one point there, Brock. Uh, I'll take it. Who was the character? So the character was actually Mark Brandanowitz. Mm, uh, he early was seasons. Early, very early season. It's when he's flirting with Ann Perkins. He goes to her house and he's trying to convince her to date him. So, and they're digging up dirt. They're playing that game. It's the same episode where Tom finds out that uh, that Ron plays the saxophone as the yes. Duke Silver. It's that same episode. I think I gotta watch Parks and Rec again. I I need to remember these things. It's great it, content. It's a great line. It's a great line. So, uh, this one goes back to Brock. Brock. Keith, I think you have. Zero points, my friend. You have Carson Wentz rings amount of points. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's terrible. Well, going back to Brock again, Keith, you are sucking it up, buddy. Going back to Brock, <laughs> we're going to read through all these quotes just because they're they're golden quotes to me. So even if, if Keith gets right. demolished, we're going to go turbo it. round if it's too much of a blow. Yeah, exactly. Control. Yeah. All right. So the next one. The rules of shotgun are very simple and very clear. First person to shout shotgun when you're within sight of the car Gets the front seat. That's how the game's played. Um. Okay, so it's the office for sure. And okay. I'm trying to decide if this is Michael or Dwight, and I just remembered it's not Dwight. I think they might be going to the hospital or something. I don't know. I'm gonna go with Michael. You're correct. It's it's it is that episode. They're going to the hospital, <laughs> and it's Michael. He's mad because he calls shotgun, but Jim puts yes. uh, Dwight in the front seat. Okay, <laughs> okay. there we go. I just want to point out that I think you have made this unfair. You're giving Brock <laughs> all the easy office quotes, <laughs> and then I the hard ones. He gets multiple uh... choice. He gets one or the other. When I get the show wrong, <laughs> I hate this game. <laughs> Damn you! You give him all the easy ones. <laughs> uh, all right, here's your chance, Keith. All right, Keith, it's back to you. All right. Okay. There's only one thing I hate more than lying. Skim milk, which is water that's lying about being milk. Ron Swanson. Boom! Two points to Keith. Uh, he didn't Keith say the show. on the board. Maybe he was... <laughs> That's how I roll. <laughs> I don't even have to say the show. Okay, that was oh, good. Oh, man. Good. That was awesome. <laughs> Keith had, with confidence, too. Yeah. That was good. Ron Swanson style of confidence. I think right. after my complaint, uh, Mike switched over a question. Softballed one to you. <laughs> <laughs> I should have never right. made the Carson Wins. Let's go. All right. Here's the next one to Brock. All right. All right. I took the quiz, and it turns out. I do put career before men. Hmm. I do put career before men. And I instantly know when things aren't from. It's not the office. I wish I had Keith to miss this for me, as he tends to do. <laughs> give me a free point. I'm going <laughs> y- to. Y'all are forgetting you have the lifelines too. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna use my lifeline here. Okay. What? And do yeah. not say it's not from the office. <laughs> it is not from the office. Fuck. Oops. Um, I should have definitely not said that. Um, okay. Now we'll get our producer to bleep that out. 
<laughs> so then I'm going to go friends and I'm going to go Rachel. You are right on the show. You are wrong on the character. Keith, okay. set up for the steal. Can you say the quote one more time? <clears throat> oh, I didn't set a rule on replace, so I guess so. All right. I took the quiz. Turns out I do put career before men. Mm, I just remembered who it is. I'm going to go with Phoebe. I think it's Chandler. I just want to be on the record. <laughs> I think it's Chandler. Brock is right. It was Chandler. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I just remember too late. He comes out of the restroom from re- reading that woman's magazine. <laughs> yep, I, I remembered it. They, they neutered Chandler, by the way. Quick 10-second rant on Friends. Chandler was the best character. Early seasons were amazing. Early season Chandler. So relatable. They made him marry Monica. That's fine. Then they neutered I actually, like, for it. I actually like late season Chandler just oh as much my. as I like for early seasons Chandler. That is the worst I thing. Lo- I love Chandler in general. He's probably the best character. And Chandler, and Ron- this- Chandler, Chandler is great. Joey, Chandler and Joey are the two highlights of that show for me. You were on this podcast last week saying cheese is bad, and that wasn't half as bad as this take. Oh, man. I'm just disgusted with you. We got to move on because um, <laughs> I can't stand the, well, the sound of your voice. Okay, fine. <laughs> Keith? We're coming back to you, buddy. You get this one Let's back. Let's do it. All right. You ready for this one? And hey, yes. just so you know, it's not that common. It doesn't happen to every guy. And it is a big deal. Softball. Okay. I think that was a softball. At least for the show, it's friends. You're right on the show. Oh, man. Oh, it's been so long. Is it Ross? Ooh, absolutely I'm not. I'm actually, it's... I'm, I'm disappointed that you said it was Ross. That I am <laughs> totally disappointed. Can I please steal both points because I was such a bad character guest? It is most definitely Rachel Green fighting <laughs> with Ross after they tried to get back together from their breakup. Um, it's, it's it's Rachel. I am. 100% it it sure. is Rachel Green. Yeah, it's Rachel. She's yelling, and then after that, she slams the door, and Chandler comes running out, and he goes, oh, I, "I knew it." it. <laughs> uh, too good. <laughs> All right, good. Back to Brock. This is a great game, by the way. I don't care I if the it. listeners don't like it. I love this game. <laughs> oh, they're gonna love it. They're gonna love it. <laughs> All right. So next quote. Back to Brock. We've got three left, guys. Three left. All right. You know my code. Hoes before bros. Uteruses before deuteruses. Ovaries before broveries. Okay. I feel quite confident that it is Parks and Rec. Okay. But, man, I really struggle with the characters in the show because it's been so long. Um, I'm just going to go with Leslie Nope. I think she's talking with Anne. It could be Anne, but it's Leslie. You are correct on both fronts. It, it is Leslie Nope. She's actually uh, saying that to Anne. It's uh, when she's dating the cop. She first starts dating, and and uh, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Yeah, that's right. So, I actually have two more quotes. I'm going to read off this one to Keith, and I'm going to see what he does with it. Keith, are you ready? Oh yeah, I am fast. To give you a reference point, I'm somewhere between a snake and a mongoose, and a panther. Oh, right down the middle. (laughs) Right down the middle. Oh man. All right, well, I know it can't be The Office. 
<laughs> I was hoping that Brock would be like saying something. It was definitely the office. <laughs> I had to mute my headset because I was like, there's no way that Keith doesn't know this one. Know. That was Dwight. Yes. Was Dwight. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Damn it. Damn it, Keith. gave my hopes up. That was awesome. Okay, last quote. Last quote here. Is this the speed round? This, uh, no, I don't think so because it just oh, goes we, back to you. We we're on the last one. Um, you... Uh, let me see. I mean, I already won. It's twelve to five, but um... yeah, no, you did. Well, you did, but no. Okay, okay, I'll take it. Sure. I'll take yeah. it. All right, all right. This next one, because I'm. I think you're going to get this one wrong, and Keith still has his uh, his little lifeline. Okay, so, that's right. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I do it really, really well. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm going to try to guess, but if you have one, Keith, do you think you feel confident? Please jump in front of me here. I'll be <laughs> <Yeah>. that kind. <laughs> I think it's from Parks and Rec. Um, it's weird how you can picture it from a show without actually seeing the character, but that is where my <laughs> mind is going. It is from Parks and Rec. You're right on the show. I, I, I don't know. It's something about, like, I just picture it being said. Um, I, man, and I think that I just, I don't know the scenario that this could possibly be, I have it between two characters, it's between Anne and Ben, um, that I, that I picture, I could be totally wrong, and, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna say Ben. No, you are wrong on the character. Keith, what do you got, buddy? So I am in between Andy and Chris. I'm going to go with Chris. Oh, you know, it was Andy. <laughs> it was oh, Andy. man, it no. was Andy. Oh, game's over. I just, I, just sucks. Can't even, I just can't even see Andy using the word well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, a, what a good time. That was great. Well... I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. That was a great time. I hope you all enjoyed it. Go follow us on Twitter. Um, again, I'm at that Gomez guy. Keith is at Frankel Takes. And Brock is at Brock Ocho Goat. Ocho like the number. Don't forget to follow our podcast, a channel, House Divided NFL. And, and on the uh, iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast, please leave a review. You know, give us some feedback on Twitter or there, and we would absolutely love to hear back from you guys. And if you like these stupid games, let us know, and we'll come up with more. <laughs> yes, please tell me how bad I suck. <laughs> yes, rate. <laughs> if anything, rate Keith. <laughs> we don't want but, ratings that low. <laughs> but until next week, we'll talk to you guys later. Later, guys. See ya.